Hello, I am John Stewart, Global Head of Commercialization for Global Transaction Services at Bank of America, and this is a Treasury Insights podcast. I'm joined today by global leaders in our trade and supply chain finance business here at Bank of America. Joining me from Asia, Europe, and the Americas are Rakshith Kunta, Jackie Kirk, JP Antello, and Leslie McNamara. Today, we will explore how recent upheavals in global supply chains have changed how companies manage their supply chains and financing strategies. Rakshi, let's begin with the topic of shifting global supply chains. From your perspective from clients in Asia, what are some of the key drivers you are seeing that are currently impacting sourcing strategies? Thanks, John. That's an interesting place to kick it off. When it comes to supply chains, this has been one of the dominant themes for the past decade and more. Modern supply chains were set up to be incredibly efficient and had a lot of focus on efficiency. In fact, if you look back at the early part of the last decade, shifting supply chains was mostly an outcome of trying to preserve that efficiency as labor costs began to rise in China. However, efficiency has its costs. One of these is resiliency. Evolving geopolitics, especially over the last six to eight years, as well as COVID brought this to front and center, Supply chain decisions, which were largely focused on maximizing efficiencies, are now equally, if not more, impacted by the focus on driving resiliencies. The other big trend impacting supply chain decisions is the rise of new centers of consumption. China is now the world's largest automotive market. White goods consumption is growing rapidly across the Asia-Pacific region. The outcome of this is a focus on diversification of supply chains, as well as to have manufacturing closer to consumption centers. Manufacturing facilities in China, for example, are likely to continue to serve increasing Chinese consumption, while countries in ASEAN, Vietnam, for example, or India, are some of the beneficiaries of the focus on diversification. China plus one or China plus more, as it's sometimes referred to effectively. Probably the best example is Apple's plans to develop Vietnam and India as an alternative manufacturing hub. They already assemble the iPhone 14 in India, and there are some reports that Vietnam may manufacture over 50% of all the iPhone by 2025. There's also focus on nearshoring or moving back manufacturing to home markets. In some cases, there may be an increased cost of labor, but this is to a large extent offset by advantages of resiliency, low transportation costs, and the use of automation. In this context, diversification, nearshoring, friendshoring, regionalization, et cetera, are all themes that are likely to dominate discussions around supply chains for the near future. Thank you, Rakshi. JP, how do you see these trends playing out in Latin America? Thank you, John. And yes, global supply chains are shifting. As we cross the Atlantic and focus in Latin America, the global volatilities bring a sea of opportunities for our region. Latin America has become an increasingly attractive destination of nearshore investment for many U.S. companies looking to de-risk supply chains. According to estimates by the Inter-American Development Bank, nearshoring could add up an annual $78 billion in additional export of goods and services in Latin America and the Caribbean in the near and medium term, with opportunities for quick wins in the auto industry, textiles, pharmaceuticals, and renewable energy, among others. Let me start with Mexico. Nearshoring represents the country's best growth opportunity for the next 10 years, and it's already occurring. 
Mexico is a natural candidate for firms to relocate production to serve the U.S. market, following the fragmentation of global supply chains. According to official sources, the foreign direct investment in the country reached $32 billion as of September 2022. That's a 30% increase versus the same period last year, from which 45.2% corresponded to new investments, 43.7% for reinvestment of profits, and 11.1% for intercompany accounts. Local and international banks are expected to benefit from financing the suppliers related to the new companies investing in reshoring opportunities, and in specific sub-segments such as the semiconductors, electric components, plastics, manufacturing, warehousing, and industrial properties. So what are the advantages for Mexico? One, low labor cost. Mexico has a low cost of labor compared to many developed countries, which can result in significant cost saving for companies that choose to nearshore their operations. Two, proximity and cultural similarity. And three, access to a large-scale workforce. Mexico has a large and growing population of educated and skilled workers, which can provide companies with the access to the talent they need to grow and, importantly, innovate. But again, the opportunities don't stop just in Mexico for Latin America. We have witnessed the expansion of new sharing to neighboring countries, particularly in Central America and the Caribbean. For example, Puerto Rico which is now a pharmaceutical hub for North America with approximately 80% of global companies in the sector with on-island investment. The Dominican Republic has established expertise in the textiles and medical device sectors, with Honduras and Guatemala also experiencing accelerated growth. Costa Rica, for example, is now central to technology and healthcare manufacturing. It's no secret that New York Shoring provides enormous benefits to companies it's also a driver of socioeconomic development for our region. More job opportunities and trade prospects contribute to stronger economies, and they are motivators for government to continue to invest in education, upskilling, and social programs. Supporting the repositioning of global value supply chain is a priority to accelerate the economic growth of Latin America and the Caribbean. Thank you, JP and Rakshi. It's clear that global supply chains and financing have undergone and continue to undergo fundamental change. Now let's talk about another topic impacting global supply chains, ESG. As demand grows for sustainable operations and practices, treasurers and treasury teams are becoming increasingly responsible for ensuring these practices are aligned with their corporate strategy. Leslie, how are companies driving their ESG objectives across their supply chains? Interesting question. Focusing on supply chains is key to overall environmental, social, and governance efforts because more than 90% of an organization's greenhouse gas emissions and 50 to 70% of operating costs are attributable to supply chains. Beyond risk avoidance and compliance, organizations are seeking ways to create long-term value by embedding sustainability into supply chain operations. Eight in 10 supply chain executives report increasing their efforts toward sustainable supply chain operations. Executives are working towards efficient use of natural resources, decarbonization, ethical sourcing, and fair trade as part of their largest focus on ESG initiatives. They are also looking to reduce risks, increase innovation, and generate a stronger return on investment for their sustainable supply chain initiatives. However, the research shows that while many executives have those long-term sustainability goals for their supply chain, few have visibility 
technology, and comprehensive programs in place to measure their progress. Challenges to their initiatives include upfront costs and a lack of a clear business case to support the expenditures. So while there's still a ways to go and hit their goals, it's increasingly clear that there's a growing focus on ESG. Thank you, Leslie. Jackie, Leslie spoke about the E or environmental focus of ESG. How are your clients driving S and the G or social and governance aspects of ESG objectives across their supply chains? We are seeing interest in and client demand for ESG is now expanding beyond the climate and sustainability aspects that Leslie's just been focusing on. They're moving to include the societal and the governance aspects. Supply chain finance is increasingly being leveraged to drive financial inclusion. So small, medium enterprises, SMEs, have not typically had access to this attractive form of liquidity. And corporates are now looking to bring more of these SME suppliers on board. This helps them drive their financial inclusion goals, but it also helps to mitigate risks by diversifying their supply chains. On the governance front, the increasing volume and digitization of the data associated with the supply chain helps corporates to model their supply chain, stress test them for concentration or other scenario risks, and it can also help identify unusual activity that may indicate potential fraud. We can see this client interest is evident in both these aspects coming through in recent RFPs. Thank you, Jackie. I'd like to add that there is increasingly evidence of a positive correlation between businesses with a clear ESG framework and investment value. This is certainly making ESG a strategic business imperative and area of focus at the boardroom level. I would like to quickly round off today's discussion with a question I'm sure would be of interest to our listeners. For the entire team, in your opinion, let's explore some of the biggest changes you expect to supply chain finance over the next three years. Let's start with you, Jackie. Can we talk about the regulatory framework? The evolution of technology is clearly the biggest theme over the next three years, and I'm sure my colleagues will touch upon it. And that may be more advanced in supply chain financing than for some of the more traditional forms of trade finance. But the full benefits of technology will only be realised when we can also address some limitations in the legal and the regulatory space. There's healthy market impetus now to modernise. And I think that was further accelerated by the pandemic and the remote working environment, which really boosted the adoption of use of electronic documents and electronic signatures. And that mindset shift is now driving all players in the industry to partner together and work through industry bodies such as the World Trade Organization, International Chamber of Commerce, to drive the reform that we need in the legal regimes right across multiple jurisdictions. Paper documentation is still prevalent, both in terms of evidencing titled goods, right through to the due diligence that's undertaken on counterparties and suppliers. And as with many other areas of finance, the technology advancement needs to be compliant with these regulations and give certainty of contract. There is progress here, such as with new laws to recognise digital transfer of title which will hopefully be more widely adopted as testing and confidence in those grows. Thank you, Jackie. It's clear that regulations will continue to drive change in this industry. 
And Leslie, building off some of the comments that Jackie shared with us, can you talk more about the role of technology and the future of supply chain finance? Seamless connectivity is a ticket to play, increasingly becoming the norm among trade finance clients that expect high levels of transparency and quicker turnaround time. The industry is moving towards leveraging the open finance opportunity via strategic tie-ups with fintechs, ERP software vendors, and other platforms to create the modern interconnected solutions that their clients demand. This enables banks to be more nimble, to respond more quickly to client needs, and to more rapidly bring to market the solutions that clients need to ensure the viability and sustainability of their holistic supply chain. That said, while seamless connectivity is the ideal state, it's also important to be realistic and realize that as long as jurisdictional nuances exist with respect to laws, rules, and regulations, the industry will need to be flexible to support a hybrid operating model, managing the needs of clients and their suppliers across a matrix of jurisdictional requirements. This will mean harnessing technology advances for the digitization and synchronization of data received from all parties participating in the transaction to speed transaction processing, provide real-time visibility to transaction status, and ultimately create actionable data insights. JP, with more connectivity, cyber threats will continue to pose additional risks. What is your perspective? Thank you, John. Within this focus, Technology adoption emerges through the adoption of utilizing software or artificial intelligence as a service, thus enhancing digitalization to support new working environments, accelerate and streamline documentation exchanges, and most important, fighting cyber risk. But it's widely known any disruption of the supply chain leads to a shortage of goods and increase in prices of raw materials at a global scale. Post-pandemic, Supply chain cyber attacks have been a growing source of concern and have further demonstrated the ever-increasing global interconnections. Cyber risk will likely be confounded when defining your supplier networks and or invest in new technologies, ensuring vendors undergo thorough cyber risk assessments and utilize artificial intelligence as companies onboard new suppliers to identify sensitive data exposure. Digital technologies are powering the supply of goods and services worldwide, making them a key asset for collective productivity within the supply chain. Thank you, JP. And finally, Rakshiz, as digital technology, connectivity, and focus on cybersecurity continue to gain ground in the industry, how has the industry leveraged fintechs to address some of these new challenges. Fragmentation of physical supply chains to derive efficiency has been a practice for some time. As technology, regulations, and laws evolve, we're likely to see this in the delivery of supply chain financing as well. Traditionally, if you looked at it, supply chain finance was delivered end-to-end by one organization who handled the mechanics of delivery as well as the financing. This is likely to be broken up in future with different parties performing different functions in the end-to-end financing of a supply chain. Increasingly, we are seeing fintechs stepping into the delivery mechanics space of supply chain financing and others bringing in the financing itself. We are already seeing a number of partnerships between fintechs focused on supply chains and banks. In future, you would probably see banks increasingly develop capabilities that seamlessly work with any fintech that a client may choose. However, as my colleagues pointed out, 
seamless connectivity, laws, regulations, cybersecurity, etc., are all important aspects that need to be considered before we have globally available industry strength models that have the ability to rapidly scale, as well as to navigate all the complexities of varied regulations and legal systems that global supply chains have to traverse. Thank you for your insights. A wave of change is underway in global supply chains, driven by factors from geopolitics, ESG, to digitalization. At Bank America, our focus is to help clients future-proof their business by navigating these changes and embracing technology advances to drive change across the entire supply chain. Thank you for listening to the Treasury Insights Podcast, and thanks to our guests, J.P. Antello, Jackie Kirk, Rakshit Kunta, and Leslie McNamara. Bank of America and B of A Securities are the marketing names used by the global banking and global markets divisions of Bank of America Corporation. Lending, other commercial banking activities, and trading in certain financial instruments are performed globally by banking affiliates of Bank of America Corporation, including Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Trading in securities and financial instruments and strategic advisory and other investment banking activities are performed globally by investment banking affiliates of Bank of America Corporation, investment banking affiliates, including in the United States, B of A Securities Incorporated and Merrill Lynch Professional Clearing Corp., both of which are registered broker-dealers and members of SIPC and in other jurisdictions by locally registered entities. B of A Securities Incorporated and Merrill Lynch Professional Clearing Corp. are registered as futures commission merchants with the CFTC and are members of the NFA. Investment products offered by investment banking affiliates are not FDIC insured, may lose value, and are not bank guaranteed.